We'll go ahead and grab a Bible and open it to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians and chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, 2 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 8, I prayed a lot about what to say today, what to say this morning, and I couldn't think of anything better than to talk about Jesus and talk about how in Christ we have hope how we can find hope in changing times. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, Paul writes these words of hope to the Corinthian church and also to us in this room today by the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 8 and reading through verse 11. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia, we were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a terrible death, and He will deliver us. We have put our hope in Him that He will deliver us again while you join in helping us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gift that came to us through the prayers of many. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your truth. Your Word is life. And so, Lord, I pray that today you would give us hope, gospel, hope, hope of the Holy Spirit, hope from your words. Lord, give us hope. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, how do you define hope? I I hope that I have cheesecake for dessert. (laughs) Is that what we're talking about when we talk about hope? There's a lot of different ways that that people talk about hope and that people define this this word hope. Some may say in our community, well, I I hope that the the Mariners make the playoffs this year for the first time since 2001, right? Sorry to throw that in. (laughs) Or or Travis Muse might say, "Um, I hope that the Dallas Cowboys make the Super Bowl this year. (laughs) Ah, and three others in the room, all right? Um, <laughs> Randall, if he was here, right? <laughs> you know, for the first time since Pastor Travis was a sophomore in, in college, right? Um, <laughs> sorry to throw that one in there, brother. <laughs> I, I, I hope, I hope that I pass this test. Or I, I hope that inflation goes down. Yeah, I think we can all agree with that. Amen. <laughs> I, I hope that the economy gets, gets better. I, I hope that our country doesn't fall apart. Amen. 
We, we use this word hope in a lot of different ways and a lot of different, uh, different means to express different desires. And I want to point out to you the difference between worldly hope and biblical hope. Worldly hope, I hope the Dallas Cowboys win the Super Bowl, and biblical hope. What does the Bible mean when it uses the word hope? Well, we see worldly hope is simply a present desire for an uncertain future good. It is a present desire for an uncertain. I don't know who's going to win the Super Bowl this year. I, I assume it's going to be the Chiefs. But, um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but uh, it is a present desire for an uncertain future good. It's an uncertain, it would be good for me, but it would be, it's an uncertain thing. Compare that to godly hope. Compare that and contrast that to biblical hope. Biblical hope, on the other hand, is not an uncertain reality. It is a present confidence in a, for a future promise, for a promised future based upon the faithfulness of God. Say that again. Godly hope or biblical hope is a present confidence for a promised future based upon the faithfulness of God. Worldly hope rises and falls based upon circumstances, based upon present situations in our lives. But biblical hope rests upon the faithfulness of God and continues no matter what the circumstances. When you have biblical hope, godly hope, you are resting your hope in that which is unchanging. God's character, His will, His ways are unchanging. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So hope is not in, in biblical hope, it's not an empty wish. It's not a, I hope things might work out. It's not saying, oh, I just trust in the fates. Oh no, it is trusting in the character of the unchanging God who is true to his promises because of his perfections, his infinite perfections. Worldly hope is based upon chance, wishes, and love. Godly hope is based upon the promises of God and the character of God. Now, as a church that is in transition, a church that is facing, at least from our perspective, uncertain times, we need to realize that our hope is not built upon anything of this world. Our hope is built upon the character of God the one who loves the church and gave himself for the church, for his people. And that, my friends, should give you great courage and great hope and great joy as you move into the future because you know it's not based upon any individual. It's based upon God and his goodness and his character and his promises. It is a real hope, hope that is steadfast, that is offered to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so from our passage today, I want us to see this key idea, this key sentence. can be summed up, this whole passage can be summed up in one sentence. It's simply this. Present hope is fueled by praying people who remember past deliverance and trust in future grace. Present hope. How do you get it? It's fueled by praying people who remember past deliverance and who trust in future grace. I want to unpack that key idea in three 
points today, three key, three aspects of that one key idea. Number one is this. Present hope is fueled by remembering past deliverance. Present hope is fueled by remembering past deliverance. It's important for us to remember the context of our passage. We are breaking in on verse 8. We can't forget what Paul is talking about in verses 3 through 7. I want you to see if you can see the word in verses 3 through 7 as we read through it that Paul repeats over and over and over again in those verses. And let's see if we can find it there. Look at verse 3 and let's read through verse 7. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which it produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that as you share in the sufferings, you will also share in the comfort. Now, what is the key word that he keeps repeating over and over and over again in those verses? What was it? Comfort, yeah. And so the context of our passage today is the most comfort-saturated passage in the entire Bible. In these few verses, he mentions the word comfort or some variation of it ten times. And then in verses 8 through 11, Paul is giving an example in his life how God comforted him how God rescued and delivered him and comforted him in the past, and how remembering the comfort of God in the past, remembering how God had delivered him in the past, gives him present hope. Paul in this passage is transparent as a leader. In fact, his transparency is incredible and an example for leaders today. Paul in this passage doesn't say, my experience as a Christian leader has just been all butterflies and puppies. (laughs) It wasn't a Facebook sanitized, Instagram photoshopped world. Oh no. Paul in honesty in this passage says, I followed Jesus and it cost me. I followed Jesus and I suffered. Paul listened and obeyed God, and he was afflicted. The very actions of following Christ, Paul met suffering and rejection. Now, was that only limited to the Apostle Paul, or is that the common experience of all believers, of believers who follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Should we expect any different if we follow a suffering Savior? Does that exempt us from suffering? Is, is it right? Is it a healthy, wealthy gospel? Is that right? If you just believe in Jesus, everything goes great. Is that what the Bible teaches? And you know that's not true. Let me show you a verse. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 12 and 13 says this. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. So where did we go to find Jesus? Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. 
And so we go to Jesus. We go to the suffering Jesus. We follow the suffering Savior who says, take up your cross and follow me. When we follow Jesus, there are times in our lives when it will cost us. Well, Paul, how bad was it? How bad was your circumstances? What is it that you went through? At the end of verses 8, of verse 8, in the beginning of verse 9, he says this. He says, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt like we had received the sentence of death. What happened? Paul, what are you talking about? What was, what was so difficult that you endured? We don't know exactly what he is talking about here, but it seems to be, or he says there, that it's something that happened in Asia. This was an excruciating time. This was a difficult time. A point of death suffering came in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Perhaps it was in Ephesus, which was a capital of a, one of the key cities of Asia in that particular area. Paul had just been there. It's hard to say from the book of Acts exactly what it was, what Paul is talking about here, the suffering that he is referring to here in 2 Corinthians. But maybe it was that incidence when after the revival in Ephesus, it destroyed all of the idol worship business in that town. Those who made idol worship, or idols, the silversmiths in that town, got together and they rioted against the Apostle Paul and demanded that he be held to account for ruining their businesses. And they rioted for hours, shouting against him, great as Artemis of the Ephesians, great as Artemis of the Ephesians. Perhaps it was during that period of time when he suffered at the hands of the silversmiths. Indeed, he says later on in the book of uh, 2 Timothy, he says, watch out for Alexander the coppersmith. He did me much harm. And so we don't know exactly what it is that Paul is talking about here, but we can look at the words he uses in verse 8 that describe his suffering to understand what he endured. He uses the word affliction. He says, I suffered affliction. That word in the original language is the word philipsis. And that word philipsis in the Greek is, could be translated tribulation. It's the same word that we sometimes use as the capital T, tribulation of the end times. It is the same word. He says, I suffered tribulation. Lowercase t, yes, but it was a affliction. Jesus said, in this world, you will face much philipsis you will face much tribulation. He says, I describe this time of suffering in my life as affliction. He says, I was utterly burdened there in verse 8. I was utterly burdened. That word that he uses there speaks of both physical and psychological affliction. It was a physical suffering. It was a psychological suffering. He was physically worn out. He was emotionally drained. Not only that, he says, I despaired of life itself. Literally there in the original language, he says, there was no passage, no way out, no exit. I can't get out. He says, I was, I was trapped. And then finally, he says, it was like a sentence of death there in verse 9. He said, it seemed like it was all over. 
Now, before we move on too quickly, we need to realize that there are some of you in this room right now or watching online who are enduring trials right now where you would use the same kinds of words to describe your current affliction. You would say, it's a tribulation. You would say, I am emotionally and physically drained. I am at the end of my rope. There is literally, it feels like no passage, no way out. It feels like I have received the sentence of death. You may have felt like this after you've gotten the phone call that somebody near and dear to you was gone. You may have felt like this in your marriage after that big blow up there at your house. It may have been after a particular criticism that just broke your spirit or maybe it was you got the news that you had cancer or somebody dear to you has cancer. Or maybe you can't even put your finger on it, but the cares of this life have just mounted together and just weighing upon you that perhaps in this moment you can identify with the Apostle Paul and say, the only word that I can use is affliction. It is a current and present trouble. It feels like the world has strapped a lead shirt to your chest and you have been cast into the sea and you are sinking into an ocean of despair. And Paul would look at you and hear your description of your suffering and he'd say, yeah, that is exactly how I felt. But Paul wouldn't stop there he in the rest of verse 9 he says but God allowed this affliction in my life for a purpose for a reason it's not as if we exist in a universe that's just filled of molecules that are running around in their randomness that everything that I experience in my life is just the outcome of the fates or just as an outcome of random chance and random possibilities oh no oh no Paul said no 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 Paul, God God allowed this in my life so that I would learn not to trust in myself but in God who raises the dead he in verse 9 he says I, I, I'm enduring this and I remember this I went through this trial so that I would learn to trust in God because even if this is the sentence of death I serve the very one who conquered the grave and if he conquered the grave, if he conquered sin, if he conquered suffering, this problem, this season is not too difficult for him. He is the victorious Savior. He is the grave conqueror. He is the one who set me free from my sin. He is the one who redeemed me. And therefore, he set me free and he rescued me. And that is our core problem. So oftentimes in our lives, when we suffer, we pretend in our affliction that there is no help available, that there is no assistance out there, that is all up to me, that is all up to myself, that is all up to my own ingenuity to invent a way out of this seemingly hopeless situation. And we have to figure that out. Perhaps even we come become temporary atheists as we say, oh, I, how am I going to deal with this present suffering? 
But rather, Paul calls us, just like Martin Luther said in his hymn. He said, did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. If I just trust in my own strength, I'm going to lose. We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing. choosing. Just ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is He. Lord Sabaoth, His name, from age to age, the same. And He must win the battle. He has won greater battles before. What makes you think He won't fight now? That's what Paul learned in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the affliction, in the midst of the pain, when it seemed like all was lost. In that very moment, he learned, I cannot trust in myself. The good news of the gospel is I can rely on God who raises the dead. This is no accident. He will bring me through this for his glory and for my good. In other words, the cycle of suffering for the sake of Christ and experience the deliverance of Christ taught Paul how to really rest in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. It taught him how to rest in the resurrection power of God. And as Paul trusted in Christ, it preached the gospel to the world. And here is my prayer for you. And the days ahead is that you learn to rely on God and his resurrection power in the midst of the darkest circumstances of life. And one of the things that I'm convinced of is the reason why we don't have more hope in our lives is because we forget that God has fought for us in the past. That God has won great battles for us in the past. Here's something I'm convinced of, is that we don't talk about Jesus enough. We don't talk about Jesus enough. What do we talk about most of the time? Oh man, I can't believe what the government's doing. You believe that? Our, our talking points have become Fox News or CNN, whatever your favorite news broadcast is. That has become the majority of our conversations. Is it any wonder we're depressed? <laughs> is it any wonder we're so discouraged when the stuff of the world becomes the forefront of our conversation and our talk? That needs to be replaced with Jesus. And what is he doing in our lives? What has he done in the past? And how what he has done in the past gives us great hope that this same Jesus who acted on my behalf in the past is the same Jesus who will act on my behalf in the present. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is the truth of the gospel. Paul is saying here, my testimony of past experience has been God delivered me in the midst of lipses. He delivered me in the midst of affliction. And that deliverance and remembering the deliverance fuels my present hope that God will do it again. And then it fueled the fires of encouragement and hope in those around him. One of the ways that you can build hope as a church is build gospel buzz around Jesus. Talk a lot about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Talk about that time when you thought your adoption would never go through and God intervened and you got to bring your little girl home. Remember that time. 
Remember the time when you were in the hospital and your loved one almost died and you cried out to the Lord and you prayed and God answered and He delivered and He healed your loved one and you're sitting next to Him today or you could call Him on the phone later on today. Remember that time. Don't forget. Remember that time when you lost your dear friend even after you prayed. Remember that time. And remember that in the midst of your affliction, God gave you a comfort and a hope that could only be explainable by the Spirit of the living God who loved you and carried you through in the midst of those darkest moments of life. Remember that. Talk about it. Remember that time when you lost your job and you didn't have any money? Yeah, God was faithful and you're still here. He provided for your needs. Praise be to God. Remember. Remember those times remember that time when things were awful at work and you're about to go into depression and you just prayed and said God I need your help I need your deliverance and God sent a friend God had somebody come to that company or come to that school come to that place of employment and they were like a breath of fresh air in the midst of a very trying time remember God has fought for you in the past he is the same God who will deliver you through whatever present affliction you are enduring in your life present hope is fueled by remembering God's faithfulness in the past and he is the same God who will act for you in the present he is the God who changes not that is the good news of Jesus and his gospel number two not only should we remember the past but number two present hope is fueled by trusting in future grace present hope is fueled by remembering past grace but it is also fueled by trusting in future grace. There is a past grace as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, but there is also a future grace as well. Look at the comprehensive deliverance he talks about in verse 10. He says in verse 10, He has delivered us from such a terrible death. He remembers the past, and He will deliver us. That's the future. We have put our hope in Him that He will deliver us again. That is trusting in future grace. He will deliver us. I love what Scott Hafman said in his excellent commentary on this passage. He says the following. He says, The gospel is not a coping mechanism. Not. It's not a coping mechanism. But the gospel is the promise of resurrection life in the future the inauguration of which, the beginning of which, God's power for new life in the present. It's God's power for new life in the present. The future promise of resurrection gives you power in the present to endure, and that fuels hope. Hope is fueled by gospel buzz around talking about Jesus and what he's done in the past, and realizing that we are not as a church to be just a bunch of gospel historians that only talk about the good old days about what God has done in the past as if he has no plans in the present or the future or that even greater things are coming we need to remember that we are not just gospel historians who only talk about what God has done in the past as if he doesn't do anything now or have any particular plans to do anything in the future. Oh, no, 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 no. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
And that same Jesus who has worked in the past is the Jesus who's going to work in the present, who's the Jesus will continue to work all the way into that day when he appears in the clouds with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. We who are left will be caught up in the air to meet with him. And so we will always be with the Lord. Comfort one another with those words. Those are our, that is our future hope. Faith in future grace fuels present hope and mission. Let me say that again. Faith in future grace fuels present hope and mission. Why is that so important? It's because we live in a day when it will cost you to follow Christ. Because this book says, God's written word says many things. That if you stand up in the public square, whether it be your workplace or your home or the internet or even just on your street or in your school, and you say, I believe these things, it's going to cost you. It will cost you to follow Christ. Increasingly so. We know there are many nations in the world where it will cost you your freedom, where it will cost you your life. We personally know people who have spent time in jail because they believe these things, especially in other nations. And probably, perhaps increasingly in our own. Or at the very least, you will be labeled, you'll be labeled as a hater. You will be canceled, perhaps even by our culture. And you will not even get the opportunity to explain the reality that you are not a hater at all. (laughs) In fact, you serve the king of love. What's going to keep you going during that time? What's going to give you hope during that time? It's trust, present trust in a future deliverance. Present trust that God is true to his promises. If we're going to be a continuing witness in our community, if you're going to be a continuing witness as a church, it is going to cost you to be salt and light in the world. will cost you to live for Jesus. It will, will cost you in this world. In fact, if we are going to reach the unreached people groups of this world with the gospel, it will be costly. Because all the easy ones have been reached. The reason why there are still unreached people groups is because it is very difficult and the cost is high. It's very steep. And it will cost much to reach them. But we must reach them because Jesus is worthy of their glory. Jesus is worthy of the glory of the Uyghur people. Jesus is worthy of the glory of millions or billions upon billions of Muslims that annually pilgrimage to Mecca to cry out to, excuse me, but a false god. He is worthy of the worship of billions of Hindus that are worshiping idols today. He is worthy of the glory of tribal people who don't want to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is worthy of their worship. He is worthy of the worship of the Chinese people. He is worthy of their worship even though they live under an atheistic regime. He is worthy of their worship. And it's going to cost to bring the gospel to the world. 
What can fuel gospel sacrifice? What can fuel the sacrifice of missionaries and even our church to hold the ground here to send them over there? The only thing that can withstand, the only thing that can give us that kind of hope, that hope's enough to send gospel out is is the trust in the future promises of God that God is true to His words. He will fulfill His words. He is worthy of their praises. Oh, trust in the future promises of God that will fuel you to endure even in present suffering. Need a verse for that? Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. It says this, We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed by day by day. For this light and momentary affliction, says the missionary apostle Paul, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. It is looking to the future that gave him present hope that caused him to not lose heart in the midst of this present affliction, amidst the present suffering. One reason I think we don't live as passionately for Christ as we ought to is that we don't think about heaven and we don't think enough about God's future deliverance that we've fallen in love too much with the stuff of this world. Remember God's future deliverance. Live for that day. Keep in mind, as Abraham did according to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, he had in his heart and in his sight, I want to make it to that city whose foundation and builder is God. That's the aim. That is the goal of our lives. Trust in God's future deliverance that will fuel present hope. Finally, number three is this. Present hope is fueled by praying people who remember past deliverance and trust in future grace. Present hope right now is fueled by people, praying people, who remember past deliverance and who trust in future grace. In verse 11, Paul calls, calls the Corinthian church to prayer. Look at verse 11. Verse 11, he says, You will join us in helping us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gift that came to us through the prayers of many. So here's Paul's sequence. Here's his logic that throughout this passage. He says, look, God has worked powerful deliverance in the past. God will deliver us and work powerfully in the future. So pray with passion today for the furtherance of the gospel. Pray with passion today. Why? Because you've seen God work in the past. Because you know God will be true to His future promises. And let that fuel your prayer in the present. And that will give you hope. And so, as a church moving into the future, builds this gospel buzz where we talk about Jesus, where you talk about Jesus a lot, Let that drive you to faithful, passionate prayer. Let it drive you to calling out to the Lord. What should you be praying for as a church? You should be praying for each other's endurance and strength. You should pray for one another that you persevere in the faith, especially during trials. 
You should pray that God would use RBC more and more and more to reach the lost with the gospel both here and around the world. You should pray that God would burn you for the gospel advance in an unreached generation within our own community. People in our own community that do not know Christ as Savior and Lord and do not ever darken the door of the church. Many who have never even heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. You should pray for your leaders. Pray for those who are working with children on Sunday nights and working with working with children on Sunday mornings, your Sunday school workers. You pray for youth volunteers and nursery workers. Pray for your deacons. Pray for your PAT team. And let each other hear you praying. There is something powerful when you hear the voice in that moment of discouragement, the voice of a faithful, loving brother and sister in Christ who calls you up and says, I just want to pray for you. Make sure that you call one another and pray for one another. Let them hear your voice. Write those cards of encouragement and prayer. Just write a note to somebody. It can be quick. I prayed for you today. I love when I get those messages in the mail. Susan, I've received them. Thank you. <laughs> I love when I get those. And many others I could talk about. But you know what, brothers and sisters? You all need these prayers of each other. You should be praying for Travis Muse. Pray for your brother. God has called him to such a time as this to be on the front lines of work, of the work for Christ on behalf of a generation. Pray for him. Pray for Alyssa. Pray for his kids. Pray for his family. Lift them up in prayer to God. You should pray for them. Pray for Scott. Scott has been so faithful for years, even decades right here in this church as a model of gospel faithfulness and ministry to lead you before the throne of grace to worship God Almighty together. Pray for him. Pray for him. Let him hear you praying for him. He would love to hear you call and pray for him. I know that would be a blessing to his soul. Pray for BJ as he works in so many tireless ways and behind the scenes in the church ministry. We pay him to do counseling, but he does a whole lot more than that. And so pray for our brother and his family. Call him and let him know that you are thankful for him and let him hear your voice. Let his family hear your voice of praying for BJ and his kids and his grandkids and his family. Pray for RBC that the church in the future, just as is done in the past, makes tremendous sacrifice of time, talent, and treasure for the sake of the gospel advance in this world world. Pray for that and engage in the gospel. Don't just pray. Don't just remember, but jump in and serve. Serve the Lord with gladness. Take the promises of God as your fuel. God's past faithfulness and his promises of future grace. Let them fuel your prayer in the present and try as you strive for faithfulness in the gospel. I want to finish today with a quote from the Prince of Preachers. C.H. Spurgeon is his name. And he says the following, and I want to encourage you with these words. I like in my time of trouble, he says, to find a promise which exactly fits my need. And then put my finger on it and say, Lord, this is thy word. 
I beseech thee to prove that it is so by carrying it out in my case. I believe that this is thine own writing, and I pray thee, make it good to my faith. I believe in plenary, that means complete, complete inspiration, and I humbly look to the Lord for a plenary fulfillment of every sentence that he has put on record. That is faith in the promises of God, looking forward to future deliverance, remembering the past deliverance, fueling present prayer. And in those circumstances, that is the pathway to hope. As you hope in the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Friend, there is a lot of hope for the future of Richland Baptist Church. God is not done with His church yet. The days ahead are better than the days behind. Know that it is not because of our awesomeness, but it is because of the awesomeness of our faithful, promise-keeping God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and pray that God would give us this kind of hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. Lord, we thank you that our present hope is fueled by praying people who remember past deliverance and trust in future grace. Lord, we thank you for what you've done here in our church in the past. How I'm really just the 11th in a line of faithful pastors, and there will be others after me until Jesus, you return. And so, Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, I thank you that throughout this room and in the history of our church, there are stories of your grace, stories of your faithfulness at work among us. Lord, help us not to forget how you have worked in the past. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to stand on your promises that you indeed are true to your inspired word. And Lord, help us in prayer, in fuel and in hope fueling prayer to stand on your word to stand on your promises believing that you will do a mighty work among us in this generation for the glory of god for the glory of jesus for the salvation of souls for the rescuing of families and for the transformation of lives lord that is our faith that is our heart's desire that is gospel fueled And so, Lord, I pray for Richland Baptist Church that, Lord, the the days ahead would be glorious, that you would continue to lead and guide and give hope. May there be conversations about Jesus continually, that we would talk about Jesus, talk about Jesus, talk about Jesus and your glories and your grace. Lord, I pray for me and my family. Use us, continue to use us for the glory of Jesus in this generation, however you would lead in the days ahead. Lord, I thank you for your blessings and your mercy and your grace. Lord, in Jesus' name we ask these things.